Hello, welcome back to the Scouting Football Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Joe Donoghue. Um, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, you're in the right place. If you're keen to know more about under-23 players, youth football, and who the next Erling Haaland, Kylian Mbappe, Jadon Sancho's are going to be, um, we're all over Twitter, Instagram, online, in print. Head on over to Scouted FTBL on Twitter or Instagram to find out more if you're interested. Um, but this week... Uh, we're back to exploring a particular club side on the Scouted Football podcast. Um, previously, we've explored Lille, Juventus and Paris Saint-Germain, but today's focus is on the similar giant of European football, Brighton and Hove Albion. Now, I, j- I joke on about Brighton being a giant there, but they're probably one of the best youth recruiters in the Premier League and, and by default in, in Europe's top five leagues. Um, they've done really smart business since being promoted uh, eventually in, in 2017 after a few seasons of near misses in the championship, much like uh, Brentford last season. Uh, and a lot of that credit must go to uh, their owner, Tony Bloom, for that. Um, uh, but that is why we have the founder of Albion Analytics, Liam Tharm, with me today. He's the man to talk to on Twitter if you're curious about what Brighton have or haven't been doing on and off the pitch. Um, Liam, it's great to have you on. Welcome to the Scouted Football Pod. How are you? Thank you very much. Um, it's an absolute pleasure to be on. It's uh, a page that I, I follow, um, you know, quite closely on on Twitter and Instagram and stuff. Um, so it's, it's you know, it's nice to be on the other side. Um, and yeah, as you say, we're slowly becoming a giant. There, I say, um, not got the trophies yet to show you for it, but um, you know, been been really impressed with some of our recruitment stuff. So it'd be great to discuss that. Yeah, the building blocks are in place, which I think is always a good a good start. But it's your podcast debut with us, but it's not your scouted debut. Um, you wrote a brilliant piece for, for the website on Tariq Lamptey earlier this summer, um, foretelling his fantastic start to the season, which has come true probably better than most of us expected. Um, he's a player that we'll definitely spend some time discussing shortly. Um, but to begin with, as always, I'd just like to give people a better idea of who you are, You know, your background in, I believe, coaching, scouting, analysis and, and the like. Sure. So um, I'm first and foremost a football coach, um, doing that, uh, doing a course in, in football coaching and management at university, which I'm obviously very fortunate to be able to do. Um, do some goalkeeper coaching as well, and that's where sort of everything kicked off for me football wise, um, and where where the aim was to be fair. Um, and through university, uh, as I'm sure many, if, if people have been to uni and stuff, listen to the pod will know. And um, obviously they encourage you to and uh, support you in sort of branching out into sort of wider areas. Um, and that, that was the same for me in terms of getting involved in analysis and in analytics and, you know, having done some uh, analysis for like non-league sides and um, for companies and stuff and just, you know, trying to have a bit more of an in-depth understanding of football rather than just sort of watching it as a fan to be able to maybe pick things apart a bit more, rationalise a few things. Um, and that's where sort of analysis came in. And, and one of the things I, I wanted to do was um, create sort of a portfolio for myself and, you know, really be able to sort of marry two of my interests of analysis in Brighton and Albion. So, uh, you know, had had the brainwave um, just over a year ago now, sort of over the summer to set up a page. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's gained quite a lot of traction, but it's, it's been really delightful to see um, sort of like a, a real good response and um, a lot of the, the Brighton Twitter community taking really nicely to sort of some numbers and stuff. Yeah, Albion Analytics has obviously been born out of that and it's a great account. It's one of those accounts on Twitter where you know you're going to get sort of unbiased analysis on a specific club um, but with with still that particular focus um, even without sort of the the partisan approach that you sometimes get with fan accounts which I'm not too much of a fan of Um, but in terms of the analysis side of things you you know you say you're a football coach first and foremost 
Um, the analytics side of things, you know, I feel like a lot of people over the past five years or so have kind of really, really got into that. Was it just sort of an interest that you've you've turned into something quite successful amongst Brighton fans? Or was it something that with the goalkeeping coaching, you know, that you started to think, actually, you know, I want to look behind the curtain here and see how I can quantify the things that I'm seeing on the pitch? Sure. I think it was a bit of both, really. Um, I think that's how a lot of things sort of happen in sort of the football sphere. Um, it's quite quite a collusion at times of a variety of things coming together. So um, part of it is that, you know, through university, we're, we're actively encouraged to um, and required to look at academic literature, um, journal articles and stuff. Um, but a lot of the stuff in the sporting domain is quite often um, sort of stats-based studies. So looking into, um, and if anyone's interested, that, um, you know, some of them can be quite long, quite boring, but you get some fascinating insight into um, you know, the academic side of football where people will, um, you know, universities be breaking down, um, and quantifying, you know, distances run, you get a lot of great um, sort of uh, the biomechanical stuff that people analyse in real depth. And, you know, sort of a lot of it can really start to rationalise a lot of things that you see in football and understand. People have gone as far to sort of break down patterns of, you know, World Cup winning teams, of, of tournaments that, um, you know, and as you say, sort of find those sort of nuggets of information um, that, that you don't always sometimes get on social media because it's obviously a lot more condensed down. And yeah, then from there in, it sort of became a thing of, um, as a coach, I think I like to try and you know marry coaching analysis together the best that I can. Um, so I'm, I'm obviously quite um, fortunate to be able to do what I do on both sides of it. So for me as an, as an analyst, I'm very conscious of how coaches want to receive things. As a coach, I'm very conscious of um, you know the, the possible role that analysis can, can give you and can benefit. So I know that a, a lot of people sort of in the industry do say that there can be a lot of tension, a lot of friction between the two as coaches perceive analysts as you know some some guys with laptops that they're trying to steal their jobs or you know, tell them everything they're doing is wrong. And, you know, that's of course not the case. Um, but, but then likewise, analysts know that, you know, they can do all this work and the coach is going to go, well, I, I think I know better than that. So, yeah, I think it's just perhaps being appreciative of, you know, how you can um, put things together. And I think fans as well now sort of see, um, and I know you mentioned Brembridge earlier on, who are obviously quite unique in, in respect to their academy. Um, that They no longer have, of course, a B team, their sort of data-driven recruitment. Um, and when the fans can start to see the benefit of those sorts of things and analysis, and I know, Another example is obviously Liverpool's throwing coach that they got mocked for, but you know now a Premier League, Champions League winning side. You know when you you get results and you succeed, I think people will buy into what you're doing a, a hell of a lot quicker. Um, like myself, you're also a keen podcaster, and I have to say the Albion Analytics podcast is probably one of the best names out there. Expected goals, which is a little play on word of Brighton's nickname, the Seagulls, obviously, which is great. Um, but moving on to the team in itself, um, you know, from a fan's perspective, you know, we've discussed about you know from the coaching side and the analysis side, and sort of marrying those two up. I think that kind of perspective is is very interesting um, to see where. Yeah, like like you were saying about you know these are just you know blokes with laptops who are you know trying to take my job as a coach or rather how do coaches want to receive information I think that's hugely interesting and yeah we could go into a lot more depth on that but from a fan's perspective you know that's how most people get into football to begin with you know they they attach themselves onto a team um, you know how pleased have you been with the start to Brighton season and, and sort of the business that you've done over the summer um, incredibly pleased uh, I think that. And I'm, I'm a very realistic fan. If anyone asks me what, what my aim is for the season, I, I will say, you know, 17th to people can be very quick to go, you know, how far can we sort of push up the league? How, how well can we look to do? I think you need to be incredibly realistic and say, OK, let's avoid the things going wrong first, um, which I suppose can you know be perceived negatively as well. But for me, you know, if, if we do enough of the job, and I think we've shown that in our sort of opening few games. Um, but, but then likewise, I think that um, there's sort of a big uh, sort of, 
concept around us potentially being an unlucky side or an, an unfortunate side, at least from within the sort of the, the Brighton sphere, in particular sort of over this calendar years, is we'd had games where you know we we controlled a lot of the ball, um, created you know an abundance of chances and, and failed to put them away. And I think that the one thing that um, if, if I can you know get anyone to sort of take anything away from this podcast from my perspective is that. I think to, in order to be a good football side, I think you, you, of course, have got to put chances away. And I think as soon as you start missing chances, you open yourself up to you know things going wrong. And I don't think the word undeserved for me or unlucky, I think, is overused way too much in football. Um, you know, if, if you're going to create four or five big chances and put them all wide, I think you, you quite happily deserve you know to, to lose a game one nil as we did against Chelsea, of course, where they they won three one with um, a ridiculously good strike from Reese James and, and a deflected goal, but. Um, you know, sort of before that, we'd, we'd missed chances. I think uh, Conley had one at the start of the second half. Uh, Lewis Dunk headed one wide, but I think every Brighton fan, including myself, would put money on him to score there. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's probably probably a big thing for me on that perspective. But then in terms of recruitment as well, to sort of answer that, um, there's been a sort of a big debate about in terms of whether Brighton need a striker, which has sort of happened for since we've been a Premier League side, to be honest. Um, and, you know, we, we've had Glenn Murray have two seasons where he's, where he's netted 12-plus goals each time. Um, you know, it, which is incredibly impressive for a striker of one his age, um, who you know people had, had written off every season. And he, he kept proving them wrong, uh, but then also you know for a team who um, weren't anywhere near as expansive as we are now, which was fine because that was us building you know a, a foundation, stabilising ourselves in the prem. Um, and then Neil Mapai has, has had a, a decent season. Um, obviously, his his underlying sort of xG numbers suggest he could have done better, but. When you break it down in terms of you know the match-winning goals that he scored, the opening goals, equalising goals, he scored some important goals for us. Um, so you know I, I wasn't too stressed about the striker. I thought Joel Veltman was a very sort of sensible buy um, for low money, and Adam Lana was a, a weird, risky signing in the sense that, of course, you've got to deal with someone's injury record. Um, we were quite well balanced in terms of central midfielders, but um, you know to be able to have the pull now to bring in someone like Adam Lana does sort of make you step back and realise well, this is a point that we've, we've reached as a club where this is someone who's got serious international pedigree, you know, Champions League, Premier League to his, his playing CV, if you like. And, you know, he's, he's now wearing the blue and white. Yeah, just going back to the the point where you said about, you know, being unfairly treated or maybe being unlucky in games, I do kind of echo that the, the idea that, you know, if you're, if you're missing four or five big chances in a game, probably don't deserve to win that match because no. you're not putting you're not putting the chances away that you're you know the, the the best sides are efficient at putting away their best chances and that is why they're the best sides um and I think yes that was the problem with Brighton last season I think I don't well I don't think any team in the Premier League drew more games than Brighton so I think that is probably the most banal and you know binary way of saying mm. that you weren't exactly the most clinical team um and we, we'll talk about strikers, we'll talk about forwards, we'll talk about attacking players um, a little bit later on. Um, but just to begin in, in defence, um, you're probably not going to be getting too many listens from people with a geolocation of leads on the Expected Goals mm. podcast, it's fair to say. Um, you know, their campaign to free Ben White, you know, didn't exactly go to plan, did it? But I think seeing him in the Brighton team, uh, and a really smart home kit, actually, I have to say. Thank you. Um, so far this season has been exactly what I'd envisaged and what I'd really hoped for, really, because he was excellent in the championship. Um, you know, he's obviously signed uh, a new long-term deal at the club and uh, that came at the start of September. Um, he's just 22 years old. And yeah, it's early days, but I think the way that he's fitted into that back three like a glove, you know, making the absence of Shane Duffy not, you know, you, he's completely lessened the impact of losing a player who is quite, you know, considerable in stature. Um, 
you know, the way that he's fitting already, you've got to be excited about that, surely. Without a doubt. I'd, I'd first like to say thank you to Leeds United for allowing us to have Ben White back. Um, it was a great kind <laughs> of them, um, as I sort of feel Julia obliged to say. Um, but no, an, an extraordinary talent and one that, despite what Leeds fans will say, our Spartan fans have been well aware of his, his ability for a long time now. He's had spells at Newport and Peter on loan, um, you know, and looked very, very able in terms of when he did transition through the league, through the EFL. Um, you know, some as you said, is, is still relatively quite young, still 22, but has already played now at every professional step in, in England. So it's quite an impressive feat, I think, to, you know, to have that and those experiences he's spoken about and will will bode him well to, you know, if perhaps dealt with the physicality um, of sort of the lower leagues as well as, you know, the, the speed and the technical proficiency um, of the Premier League, of the Championship. Um, he's someone who, yeah, I think has been very, very good. Um, I think the one worry for him was that he almost had too much attention and too much run onto him was a case of, you know, he's, he's a centre-back whose primary job for us will be to progress the ball, um, whether that be through through carries, um, through sort of his vertical passes. Um, and it's really, really hard for centre-backs to have a really good outstanding performance quite a lot of the time, in particular when you're a ball progressor. So Shane Duffy, um, you know, for us really stood out because he's one of those that, you know, would be directly stopping goals through blocks, you know, through clearances, um, you know, stopping shots on the line, be tackling people. Um, and the same for Lewis Dunk, who, you know, I think is a real good sort of hybrid player in that sense that can, can really do both quite well. Um, whereas Ben White is, is a lot more similar to Adam Webster in the sense that, um, you know, more of a primary ball progressor, which, you know, does look really nice, but then can be quite hard to quantify in terms of if you try and tell someone, oh, he, he's carried the ball X amount of yards, to them that doesn't really mean anything. But if you say, oh, you know, Shane Duffy with the most clearance off the line in the Premier League in the 2018-19 season, to them that means something. So, for, for me, it was it's good to see, you know, White still getting the recognition that he, he definitely deserves um, after some exceptional numbers in the championship, some exceptional performances. Um, I think it's, you know, it's said enough on its own that Leeds fans didn't want to let him go. You know, to see see them treat, treat a loan time that well was, was really nice. So, yeah, very happy with them, White start. Yeah, I'm a huge, huge fan of, of White. Watching him against Newcastle was a bit like a dagger to the heart because he was so effective, mm. you know, never looked too troubled. I mean, much more of a reflection on Newcastle. But, you know, his again, his ball progression from deep was spot on too. And I, I do agree with the fact that, you know, you think of the big defensive titans over the years, you know, the ones who who win the plaudits and stuff, you know, your, your Paolo Maldinis, your Fabio Cannavaros, mm. um, Sergio Ramos, you know, they're all big characters. They're all very sort of... Um, you know, they're, very, they're men's men, for, for want of a better phrase, especially in their defensive work. Um, and I think with the evolution that has come in defence and in, in football in general, I think that, yeah, there should be a great focus on sort of defenders who are better ball progressors. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people will have seen the threaded balls that he played in behind very early in the match, um, Ben White against Newcastle. But that's only because that clip was was clipped out of that game and, and then shared on social media. Yes, yeah. Um, you know, that that's where he's going to make the difference against sides who are at the same level, who, for example, don't have a player like that. Um, you know, for, from the first few outings in, in the Premier League, um, I mean, do you have do you have any Albion analytics trademark rubber stamped analysis really to, to impart on Ben White or is it a bit too early? Uh, I think it's never too early. Just the one that you have to be conscious of, of course, is that, you know, he's, he's played two Premier League games. Um, so anything that you're drawing from this is not necessarily concretely reflective of him it's pretty what he's done in, in two games but um, what was quite nice to see was that um, and this is stats from a great as our FB ref who take a lot of data from on the page um, they had ever termed they call goal creating actions and shot creating actions which I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with what's quite nice is from an analytics perspective is that it sort of does away with the key passes thing 
which is a good concept on its own. But then, you know, you've got certain players who um, will create chances by winning fouls, by um, completing dribbles, bits and pieces like that, that um, won't always be directly through passing it to a teammate. Um, and they take all these into account and they, they break down how players create chances. Um, and Ben White was actually involved in um, in the build-up to, to two of the Brighton goals um, against Newcastle. Um, I think he fed Tarek Lamptey, who won the penalty. Um, and I believe as well in the in the build-up to the third goal, um, I think he, he played played a long pass, which uh, was was shuttered down by by Neil Mapai um, for Aaron Connolly to score. So um, someone who's you know as we've said definitely has the ability to progress the ball, um, and it's nice as well to see him actually um, do that in a quantifiable aspect because it can be very very hard at times to defend certain players to people where you know you, you'll know that they're good visually because you've watched them enough, but for the average fan who you know quite rightly um, doesn't spend you know way too much of their time you know watching all these clips of players. If if you don't have something statistical that you can bring out to say, oh, he was involved in this goal and that goal, um, you know, for, for them they, they've got no idea. So I, I was, you know, very happy to see that Ben White get some um, statistical recognition, I suppose, to sort of lack of a better phrase. Um, but again, his his progression numbers were immense for Leeds last season. I'm sure they'll be equally as good for us, um, which will potentially be a bit limited by the fact that you've got Adam Webster and Lewis Dunk, who are both also exceptional ball progressors. Um, but yeah, I, I think as well for us it will be seeing, you know, what else can Ben White add in terms of his ball winning. Um, and on top of that, you know, can he then also maybe provide us with a set piece set, but a, a great start in terms of his, his role in build-up. Yeah, I think goal-creating actions and shot-creating actions um, are very, very important metrics, uh, especially in, in the modern day, because, you know, you, you can look at goals and assists and you can see those as... They, they, are, they are the statistics that everybody's going to understand, everybody's going to enjoy, everybody's going to you know, to draw their uh, assumptions on how effective a player is. Um, but I think, especially for defenders as well, if you see someone like Ben White, who's standing out in the stats, saying that, you know, he's created, uh, that, that he's been involved in two goals already. Yes, maybe not the assist, but perhaps the pre-assist or mm. maybe the, the the pass before that. You know, yes, people might say you're nitpicking or you're, you're you know, you're pulling straws here. But when they continue to do that time and time and time and time again, that is kind of where you're sort of identifying the building blocks and the foundations of why this team plays so well, for example. Um, I think the the other player who has, I mean, especially against Newcastle, um, was arguably more impressive, um, mainly because of how dynamic he was and how notable he was on the pitch, um, was, was Tariq Lamptey. Uh, and he's, of course, a player who, who we both know well, um, you better than I, Liam. Uh, but £1.6 million upfront fee, potentially rising to £3 million. I mean, that is not a bad deal for a player who's taken to, to top flight football um, as well as he has in his first 10 games or so, is it? He's been absolutely exceptional. Um, and one thing I will, will say on our recruitment standpoint is that um, we are blessed at Brighton to have Tony Bloom, who is a fan of the club, um, has been in the away in numerous times. I was fortunate enough to meet him actually in the 17-18 season in our debut Premier League season. Um, he's literally stood two rows behind me in the away end at Watford in August. So he went up and was fortunate enough to just go and shake his hand and just say thank you for what you've done. Um, so in a sort of an era where there's, um, you know, there's lots of owners who uh, have a lot of money and have a lot of, you know, power uh, and, and can do things for football clubs to, to have someone who, you know, genuinely, you know, this club means a lot to is, is really, really privileged for us. Um, and again, someone who, who people may not know is a, a professional gambler, professional poker player, owns horses as well. So he's the, he's the sort of person you want involved in your business. Um, he's been, you know, the man that's been able to keep Lewis Dunk, Dale Stevens at this football club, despite a lot of a lot of bids, a lot of pressure. Um, so yeah, the, for me and for the, the rest of the Brighton fans, the, the fact that we got him for a low fee was no surprise at all because you know Tony Bloom knows what the right price is to, to buy or sell. Um, and, and as you say now that you know the the transfer fees can often dictate 
um, sort of as a, as a measuring tool for how well a player does. And for Terry Lamptey, of course, he's he's been nothing short of outstanding. And when you then marry that up with a low chance fee, um, it makes him look even better. But a player who, for me, is is exciting to watch because um, his raw speed is something that comes across in all of his elements of his game. He showed against Newcastle in sense of bombing forward, um, you, you know, in order to in order to carry the ball. Um, you know, having the the freedom and you know the the willingness to try and take players on, obviously drawing the drawing the foul for the penalty, uh, and this was picked up on match of the day as well. But you know, then as as people say now, that obviously defending's a dying art, but not with Tariq Lamptey. He's you know he's, he's a very good winner of the ball, um, primarily through interceptions. But that again is because he's so fast and so fast off of like a standing start that you know he he realistically doesn't need to tackle. He can stand off a player and say you know what I'll I'll beat you in a beat beat you in a foot race um, and, and pick up that ball. Um, I can't remember who, the, I think it might have been Callum Wilson, I can't specifically remember, I'm sure you, you'll, you'll remind me, who was um, played through on goal and Lamptey made a, a great recovery run and, and slid in at the right time to win the ball back. So, yeah, for me, the, the speed at which he, he sort of does things um, and consistently as well, you know, in terms of in games, he's hit, you know, 35Ks top um, you know, in multiple games and, and across a full 90 as well. He, he's non-stop. Um, and again, as someone who's young, 19 years of age, uh, the, the ceiling for him is ridiculously high. It's probably cases, you know, how long do we see him in a Brighton shirt for before someone comes in and poaches him? Yeah, it was Callum Wilson um, who he slid in and and saved that sort of that. I, I would I'd say goal saving tackle, but um, you know he's still quite far away from goal. But yeah, you could just see him hairing back, making that mm. recovery run, and you just knew what was going to happen. He just flew into the challenge, wins the ball. And it's a great it's a great tackle, and they are the moments that everybody remembers when they're leaving the stadium, uh, you know, or, or leaving the pub or wherever they've been watching the game. Um, you know, they, they they are the talking points that people uh, always come back to is those flashpoint moments and the the pivotal um, the pivotal moments in the game where a player has sort of decided on on their own, but you know that you know you're not going to score. Um, you know, he'd been really really good uh, dynamic as ever really in Chelsea's youth teams, and mm. and to be fair, the Brighton transfer really took me by surprise because you know maybe a more old fashioned way of thinking made me question whether physically he'd be up to the task of senior football just yet. You know, with him being nineteen and everything, but you know he's recently been called up to England's under twenty one setup. You know, started the season so well at right wing back, which I think is definitely his his long term uh, position. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how well he'd do in a four back four, but I, I mean with the right coach and who's to say he couldn't be just as good. Um, would you say that he's sort of one other player in this Brighton team who who is probably on the same plane as Ben White in terms of high, how high you hope that his ceiling could be? I definitely think so. Um, you, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to just group players together in that sense, but I think that they're players that, um, one, we're fortunate to have, um, but I think also have, have made good decisions with in terms of, you know, with our recruitment, it's a very sensible buy with, with Tariq Lamptey um, and with Ben White as well, and I think that, um, and I'm I'm all for youth players coming into into teams, um, but I'm even more for doing it at the right time. Um, I think that perhaps Chris Hughton got a bit more criticism for than I think he definitely deserved. Uh, and Graham Potter now is really benefiting from you know our academy really starting to fruit at, at the perfect times. Um, you want to remember that Ben White is the sort of player that went out on loan under Hughton, as did as did plenty of others that are now starting to break through. Um, Aaron Connolly stayed in the 23s and stuff. Um, so I think it is, you know, people need to recognise that um, I think every single manager wants to bring through youth talent because that's what the academy is there to do. It's there to sort of challenge the first team, to get first team players, to, of course, make money as well because football is, is unfortunately a business. Um, but, you know, you, you, you sometimes get one shot with these players. And that was for me the worry with Tariq Lamptey that when we did start him against Leicester, 
um, in an exceptional debut. So I was delighted that he proved me wrong. But my worry, my real worry was, um, you know, if you, you bring him into a game too soon um, and he gets absolutely terrorised, you go, you know, there, there might not be much coming back from this. And, and there's plenty of footballers that um, have a lot of hype around them and don't quite perform. Um, and, and that's that's one thing you always want to look to avoid, of course. Um, so the, the one thing for Lamptey is that he's performing at a rate that's, that's so, so good. It's just a case of, is this perhaps a peak in his form? And we have to be prepared for any potential dips, of course, that happens with every footballer, let alone one that, as you say, is you know really in their infancy in their Premier League career. So it, it w- wouldn't be too disheartening to see perhaps some performances where he's not as good or his numbers aren't as high. And that doesn't mean he's a bad player. It's purely a case of you know slight ebbs and flows in his form. Um, but yeah, he, he and Ben White's good. Um, and from an international standpoint, could hopefully be two sort of key players for England. I know we're inundated with right backs as it is, hmm. um, but I'm sure there's room for one more in Tarek Lamptey. <laughs> yeah, just play an entire team of right backs at the Euros next do. summer. <laughs> um, I'm glad that you say that about sort of blooding players in at the right time because it it is correct. And I think, uh, I mean, Chris Hutton is one person that I didn't really think to give too much credit to for sort of the the young players coming through now. But it makes a lot of sense. You know, he's sent them out on the right loans. He's he's kept them in and around the first team, maybe training, but also they're they're playing with the under twenty threes, and that's kind of. You know, the, the, the players coming through now, it's predicated on that success that they've had at under-23 level. Um, but I suppose it brings us to, to the wider point, really, the discussion about White and Lamptey. You know, it's, it's going to require you to, you know, to take the analytics cap off and put the supporter cap back on. But, you know, what if the likes of Lamptey and White have not good but great seasons? You know, the top six are going to look at a club of Brighton's stature and think, you know what, we can and we will cherry-pick this proven Premier League quality. You know, is that not a worry? Um, I wouldn't use the word, word worry, to be honest. I wouldn't have a problem with that. Um, I think as fans, we need to be incredibly realistic and say that with all due respect to us as a club in our size that we are, because we're not going to grow to the size of a club that we'd like to be overnight. I know that Bloom has spoken quite openly about having some sort of top-half ambitions, and that's fantastic, but these things take time. We've seen you know, the likes of Bournemouth, who were a Premier League side before us, um, you know, crash back down after years in the league. So um need to be very conscious that we're by no means settled and if we have a bad season we will be back down in the championship um, and you know having seen just how good Ben White and Terry Clamty are um, they could go in incredibly good places um, and they might have to do that away from Brighton they might have to go to a bigger club um, which for me wouldn't be a problem at all I think perhaps me having my supporters hat on again that's maybe more down to the fact that I think for me it's wanting to see them do well on in, um, in the international stage which of course um, they both could do for England Um and, you know, as you said, Lamptey has done with his with his debut for the 21s. So maybe that's, you know, one saving grace for me of knowing that if, if one does go, OK, I might still be able to benefit from that in the long run. But at the end of the day, they're, they're footballers, but more importantly, human beings who, you know, deserve to, to do the best thing that they can do in terms of their career. So, yeah, we would have no qualms at all about them going to, to the top club. I think with with Lamptey, um, I think he'll probably be at Brighton a little bit longer than White, in, in just in my opinion. Um, it's not based on anything or insider knowledge or anything like that. I think it's mainly because of the wealth of options that the top clubs already have at right back, mm. as you've just said. You know, Trent Alexander-Arnold at Liverpool, Rhys James at Chelsea, Juan Bissaka at Man United. Um, you've got Hector Bellerin, Maitland-Niles at Arsenal. Spurs have just signed Matt Doherty. Mm. You know, it's probably the most well-staffed position in the Premier League. Um, at the moment uh, with, with good options and I suppose internationally so as well. White, on the other hand, um, you know, as is often the case with young English ball-playing centre-backs, mm. you know, it could, he could be away sooner than Brighton fans would hope, I'm sure. Um, but I mean, that brings me on to sort of a separate point though, you know, the, the club's recruitment 
seems very effective. Um, I was recently reading Soconomics uh, by uh, Simon Cooper and Stefan mm-hmm. Slavsky, which is a great, great book. Um, it's it's about 10 years old now, though. Uh, but one of the concepts that they, um, they, they outline in that is buy your replacements for your key players before they've actually left, which I suppose is, you know, what clubs in in lesser leagues do, like, you know, Ajax, for example, that, you know, they'll buy a player who can step into the role of someone who's naturally going to graduate elsewhere. Um, I, jo- I joked on earlier this summer, actually, um, that there were about eight or nine centre-backs at Brighton who could viably play first-team football in some capacity. Um, and I suppose that comes down to the, the youth scouting the club have done, you know, buy early, develop in-house, what is your take on first of all the centre back situation, but on, on the the whole youth recruitment and and recruitment as a whole? It's a, must be a delightful headache for Graham Potter to have because we're you know we're, we're blessed now to have an incredibly good academy. Um, for those that aren't aware, they got promoted to the PL two, which is the top youth division. Um, I think in the twenty seventeen eighteen season, so there were two two years in the PL two um, and back to back third place finishes, which is you know nothing short of outstanding for for a newly promoted side. Um, and in that time as well, the, the, obviously the team hasn't always been consistent because you know we, we've taken players out of the team as we've chosen to. Players have gone out on loan, um, so that's been really, really impressive. Um, yeah, I've been sort of delighted to see the centre backs progress. And I think what's nice about the ones coming through is that there's something a little bit different in all of them. Um, in terms of obviously the ones we've got now, in terms of um, in terms of white coming through. But when you look at perhaps you know a few years later down the line. Leo Wistergaard, um, who's doing, you know, loving life at Coventry City at the moment, had a very good season at St Pauli last year. Um, he's perhaps a lot more of a Shane Duffy type than sort of some of our other progressive centre-backs. He's someone who is an absolute monster in terms of his his abilities and outputs in, in both boxes. Um, he's truly outstanding at that. Um, we've got Matt Clark, who's out on at Derby. Um, and his difference is that he's left-footed, which some people might sort of overlook. But to be honest with you, that's a very, very, very important thing in terms of a team wanting to build up because left footers will, will play on the opposite sort of passing lanes to, to right footers. They're going to naturally want the ball on the opposite side. And basically what that means is that from sort of a coaching analysis perspective is that they're going to want to open out and go onto the opposite sides, which is going to give you the full width of the pitch. If you play a team full of right footers, they're all going to want to play in the same direction. They're all going to, want to receive in the same way. Um, and I think as well, they're just sort of naturally hard for right footers to play against because they're not used to playing against left footers. They don't face many. Um, and obviously, if you're right-footed, you know how right-footers might like to play, but you might not get that with a left-footer. So I think Clark will really benefit from that. And as we've seen as well, there seems to be a big premium uh, with Nathan Ake obviously leaving Bournemouth um, for left-footed centre-backs, which, you know, could could earn Brighton extra money as well. Um, we've got Hagen Roberts as well, who I think is, you know, 18, um, is still, again, incredibly young and represented at England youth level. Um, had a good game last season. He played in the Cup for, uh, for Brighton against Aston Villa. Actually scored a goal in front of the North Stand, um, and he again is another one who's an incredibly good carrier of the ball. Um, but he's perhaps a bit smaller than you'd expect for a centre back to be, um, which isn't isn't a negative at all. Would you know quite easily suit him to be in um, maybe an outside centre back in a back three, but really gives him some di- um, dynamism when he sort of goes forward. He, he can really sort of go forward with that ball. Um, a real competent progressive who carries. So I think for us to have a nice bit of balance in our centre backs is really really good. Um, you know, better than just, you know, we're not just producing robots here who are the same player. These are players who are all unique, a bit different. Um, and, and yes, yeah, some real good homegrown talent in there as well, which should hopefully benefit England in the long run. Um, yeah, just looking through the, the squad list in the under-23s as well. Um, you know, you've got lots of English, Scottish players, but, you know, there's a Lithuanian, um, a couple of Belgians, uh, a Frenchman, Swedish, mm-hmm. Swiss, you know, ju- you know, touching on, um, how you mentioned Leo Ostergaard, um, who obviously, yeah, did have that great season at St. Pauli last year. Um, 
you know, are these all examples of the recruitment policy at that level, just below the surface of the first team working very effectively? I think definitely so. Um, obviously, I, I know Scout is incredibly complex now at elite level, um, but from a Brighton standpoint, they're incredibly good at what they do. Um, Pascal Gross, when he was signed, um, was given a 50-page-plus scout report of himself, um, which he was, you know, so that they told him, th- told him things about this game that he didn't even know he did. Um, Joel Veltman, who we signed from Ajax, is a player that we've been tracking since Chris Hewton was in charge. Um, Ali Reza Yohambash, when we, we poached him from um, from Holland, was someone that we tried to sign, I think, in 2016-17. Um, obviously, we didn't then pick him up for a few years, and he had another transfer to a different club. Um, but Bryson kept in touch on a weekly basis. I think I, I read an article... Um, so you know they're, they're really meticulous what they do they make really well-informed decisions um, I think you know some fans have struggled at times where we've, we've bought players that haven't played senior football for us and then been sold on but that that is the way the football works and that you know you do take punts on players at times or in the sense that players you know you might buy them from a league that's of a lesser quality to be fair than, than what the Premier League will be um, and they just don't don't for whatever reason quite make that step up um, but yeah as you mentioned they've, they've scouted extensively well in terms of sort of the mind of reaching European leagues um, Lars Dendonka has been picked up, who's the, the brother of Leanne Dendonka. Um, and another good talent signed today, um, a, a forward from Amiens in, in League Two in France. Um, and yeah, they, they make some really, really good decisions. Um, and I think it's helpful for the fans now that they can sort of buy into that more in terms of, as I mentioned at the start of the pod, that um, success helps people to buy into stuff. And if you see players breaking through, um, that sort of definitely reinforces what they're doing really nicely. Um, and, and yeah, we're getting to a real good point now where it's really starting to, to come to fruition a lot of these academy players. Um, I, I think what, what the club do is is truly fantastic. But um, yeah, from, from the sort of the Irish standpoint as well, we've had Aaron Connolly breakthrough. Um, Jason Willoughby's on, on the verge of that now as well. We've got Warren O'Hora, who's out on loan at MK Dons, was our 23th player of the year. Um, again, Warren O'Hora looks set to have a very good season. Uh, Jason Willoughby's debuted for Ireland now as well. So the, the one shame for us is that there's 11 positions on a football pitch, um, or 11 players can play rather. Um, and unfortunately we can't fit these all in so something has to give somewhere Yeah I mean you, you mentioned about taking punts on players from lesser leagues and there is this taking punts but if you're providing potential transfer targets with 50 page scouting reports on their game then you know your punts are going to be educated punts at, best, mm. at, at the very worst you know and the hit rate is good you mentioned Aaron Connolly you know he's still just 20 years old I think a lot of people might forget um, but he was another who's, you know, he was signed from Merview United in Ireland. And now I hadn't heard of Merview United before I actually did the research for this pod. You know, Lamptey from Chelsea's under-23s. Ben White you got from Southampton when he was 16 or 17. Mm-hmm. Um, Jensen Weir, you know, you fought off a lot of clubs to sign him from Wigan this season uh, amid the situation there. Um, and, and similar to Connolly, Jason Malumbi from uh, a club called Railway Athletic, uh, who, again... They're not. They're not in the Irish Premier League, so uh, they're very much a provincial club in Ireland. Um, you know, Victor Gutierrez, who's played for the first team in the cup this season, I believe. You know, from yes. uh, Bromma Pakiana in Sweden. Um, Leo Ostergaard, who you mentioned before, you got from Molde. You know, at the very least, these players they're going to make a profit for the club if they're sold on. Um, a best case scenario is that they break through into the first team and become you know stalwarts of of Graham Potter's side. So I think it's a win win on the fact that even the players that maybe don't hit the heights that you're expecting of them, you know, there are one or two other players who are going to compensate for however much you've invested in in, in the dud, so to speak. Uh, you know, it's a tried and tested method, which is producing that stream of, of first team ready players, um, you know, of the guys that I mentioned in there. Um, 
and and I feel like if if this was my club, for example, you know the the fan base would be all over that. It would be heralded and really supported and, and celebrated. Um, within Liam, within Brighton's fan base, you know, what are sort of the hopes and expectations um, for the likes of these players who have come from maybe um, lesser leagues to the Premier League? Is is there you know a bit of is there too much expectation? Is there a bit of trepidation? Is there excitement? What is the what is the interest around them? I think it's just to provide something for the club, to be honest, in terms of whether that be, as you mentioned, funds when they're sold on, um, to be even competition. I think people can vastly under, underestimate the value of competition um, in terms of if you've got, you know, for, for any strike, if you're Neil Mapai and you've got Aaron Connolly now all of a sudden breathing down the back of your neck. I know that often um, Graham Potter chooses to play with two up top. But, you know, if you know that you've got someone who can quite come to fill your shoes, you should hope to be performing better. Um, you know, as, as the age old saying goes, that precious needed to make diamonds, which... Um, it's definitely a thing in academy football. Um, I think a lot of people don't realise that the rate to play selling pro from academies is, um, is I think, 0.01%. It's, it's disgracefully low in the sense that um, football is so overpopulated at lower levels that for, for anyone to become professional, they have to be an outstandingly good footballer, whether people think they are or not. Um, you know, things might be skewed because when you put 22 of them on a football pitch, some players, you know, naturally um, sort of differences in ability are going to show. So I think for, for these youth players to, to give something to the club um, is it, sort of really desirable. Um, but I, I think also as well, just to, and from my perspective at least, I obviously can't speak for full fans, but to go and sort of forge a career for themselves and, and you know, to, to really sort of do something in terms of football. Um, as you know, we, we all like seeing footballers succeed, as you mentioned with, with Lamptey and White, as players that can really push on. Because um, at the end of the day, if, if a player succeeding, all they're going to do is make football better as a sport and more competitive, more entertaining. Which at the end of the day, whether we like to admit it or not, we're all there to be to be entertained. Um, and and yes, for me, um, been really impressed with how um, as a whole process the club's been recruiting, then developing players, um, and picking sort of the times to try and bleed them in. And they've had instances where you know players have been tried to be be bled in, um, maybe not quite worked out. Then when they tried at a later date. Um, so I think the, the sort of decision making and, and the process seems really well thought out, um, and they're reactive in a good way as well in terms of that they they're using what they can um, get information wise from um, from what is happening to sort of inform what they're doing later down the line. Um, having said what we have about the youth recruitment, it's probably you know no surprise that Brian's under twenty three team are, are pretty good too. Um, that goes without saying. Um, Liam, you mentioned before about the back to back third place finishes finishes in uh, Premier League two in the past two seasons. Um, last season, you also scored uh, the joint most goals um, behind you know a, a very good Chelsea team, and I think it was Arsenal as well. Um, but those clubs are obviously the ones who've got considerably more funding and, and greater reach because they're London clubs. Um, just on a more general note, within the under-23 setup at the moment, you know, who are some names that we should sort of be looking out for? Um, there's there's a lot. So I'll, I'll try and rattle through some of them. Um, but just as a point on sort of the under-23s and their numbers, they were nothing short of exceptional last season. I think they had the most away wins in the league. I think they won seven times away. Their XG over performance was something like 12. It was ridiculously unsustainable. Um, so please don't be surprised and don't think that we've turned <laughs> awful all of a sudden if they drop down to mid-table because you know they they recovered in a ridiculous amount of games. I think they they I think they took took points from games when they've been losing at half time the most in the league as well. Um, won the most games by I think two or three goals. Um, they were you know nothing short of it, absolutely outstanding. Um, in terms of sort of specific names. Um, for me, Taylor Rich is one of the really exciting players coming out now. Um, an immensely good carry of the ball, um, a, you know, a real good direct transition outlet. 
Um, but a real good technical player as well as someone who um, has got a final ball on him and is a really good hybrid in the sense of um, you can sort of play him in a variety of systems, in a variety of formations um, and know that he can do you a job. A good striker with the ball as well. Um, and I think, you know, what something like Best was on, on debut, um, which, you know, still was a debut, not competitive in pre-season um, away at Crawley. Uh, I think at the start of last season, he, he took a penalty of like 10 minutes to go, um, you know, ran up and, and penenkered it and scored. So, um, clearly someone who likes to take risks as well, which, you know, is great from a fan's perspective of a player who can provide you with some flair, some excitement. So he, for me, is a fantastic one breaking through. Um, Peter Gorgeous is a really exciting player as well. Um, half Swedish, half Australian, I believe. Um, a great set-piece threat in terms of his set-piece taking. Um, a really good deliver of a ball. I mentioned Hayden Roberts scored um, earlier on in the pod when we played Villa. Peter Gorgeous was one to deliver that corner. Um, incredibly two-footed. I've watched an awful lot of him and for a long period of time, I genuinely couldn't work out which foot was a stronger foot, which obviously speaks really well for him. One of the highest uh, assist numbers last season in the PL2. Um, so he was absolutely fantastic. Um, just trying to think of sort of, sort of any others. Teddy Jenks as well. Um, it is a player who has been involved in a gold in his last five PL2 games and he's a central midfielder. Um, so I'm supposed to be a bit more advanced. So he's another player who um, I think the athletic tipped him as sort of uh, Brighton's player set to break through. There's some real talent in that side. Danny Cashman as well is another one who uh, had one of the best minutes per goal ratios in the PL2 last season. I think he averaged over a goal and assist per 90 minutes. Um, you know, absolutely clinical in front of goal. Um, I believe he scored the other night as well. So there's there's a ridiculous amount of talent in there right now. Um, but I could probably speak for two or three hours on this. So I think it would be best <laughs> that I stop. Um, yeah, if anyone is interested, there's loads of stuff about the 23s over on the Twitter page. And there's some video clips and stuff on there as well. Um, and Brighton also quite generous as well. They put highlights of all that sort of stuff on the club website as well, all free to watch. So that can sort of be really entertaining. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Danny Cashman and Teddy Jenks because, you know, they're the ones I was eager to discuss as well. Um, and also you, you, you spoke uh, about uh, Taylor Richards as well. He's obviously on loan at Doncaster now. Um, you know, the last season, yeah, they were. They, were, they looked like a consummately professional team. Yes, they probably did overperform their XG, um, as you said. But I think, again, the, the building blocks and the foundations are there, especially for a club who realistically, you know, aren't going to have the same pull as uh, an Arsenal or Chelsea or a Spurs or really any sort of club in London as an academy. Um, so I think to, to do as well as, as Brighton have done with the proximity that they are to London, I think it's, it's, um, it's quite admirable. Um, you know, we, we've, we've talked about recruitment. We've talked about, you know, what the, um, the under-23s. But I suppose, you know, you can buy all of these young players from uh, from all over the world, all over Europe, much like a football manager, say. But you, ultimately, you have to have the coaching and the coaching structure in place to make them better players, to make them first team ready. You know, what is the coaching side of, of things like at Brighton to help them integrate and develop? Um, the coaching side is obviously fantastic um, and it has been for a long period of time now. Um, a lot of people will underestimate the role that Chris Hewton played, um, but he took a club that was on the brink of dropping back down to League One, having, as you mentioned before, had some real, and I mean by two goals, scored in terms of near misses, in terms of championship promotion to the Premier League. Um, so Chris was someone who has done things in this club that, that many never will um, in terms of taking them up and, and giving them uh, a foundation and, and building a base. Um, and in, in hindsight now, probably left at the right time. Um, wasn't a decision I was overly happy with at the time. I'm, I'm sort of a big, big advocate that when you sort of look at the numbers that um, teams who start to sort of regress towards and mean that, you, you know, you can play at a, an unsustainably good or unsustainably bad um, sort of level of playing. Um, but in hindsight, um, Graham has been, been a really good appointment. Um, the, the worry, of course, was 
a manager who had spent very little time in England, but you know, with, with someone like Bloom in charge, who you know for a living is is a calculated gambler for, for what he does. Um, I've always said to people that look, if if you're good enough, and it's the same now with players as you mentioned with someone like Lamptey, you can be in, in an infancy of of a playing or coaching career, but if if you're ready and you're good enough, I go you're ready to do that job. Um, so for, for me, that the best thing you know was was Graham coming in when he did. Um, and as someone who many have quite rightly tipped to probably manage England one day, as he probably ticks a lot of boxes for them. Um, he's obviously gone the complete flip side from what Chris did in terms of his style of play, um, which is fine. Uh, I'm, I'm personally a big believer that, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. There's no requirement to say we want to play possession football. And the fact we showed post-lockdown that, um, you know, we were probably at that point in time a better side when we didn't play, you know, possession football. We were pragmatic in games took a point away at Leicester and restricted them to very low sort of chance creation numbers. Uh, one away at Norwich with, I think, less than 40% of the ball, had less than half possession uh, in eight of our nine games. The only one, and this will come as no surprise to you, Joe, but was against Newcastle at home um, when, <laughs> when we dominated the ball. Um, no so, surprise yeah, there. No surprise at all. Uh, but even in that game, I, I believe we actually were outscored in XG um, from, a, from a decent Andy Carroll chance. So um, our, our numbers in terms of our creation of, of chances, our shots, our points, there's no massive significant differences last season from when it was over 50% to when it was under in terms of possession. So um, for me, it was pleasing to see that although we tried to sort of uh, revamp our style of play and did it quite nicely, there were loads of times where we played some really aesthetic football, scored a great goal in injury time um, against Edmonton. I'd encourage anyone to watch it. Um, I've watched it ridiculous amount of times now. Um, but, you know, on a counter-attack, building from the back with Matty Ryan, launching a counter, sweeping through to the Dan Byrne, bombing forward, Leandro Trossard overlaps him and, is crossed in and uh, Luca Dean puts it into his own goal with, with Ben Murray lurking at the back post to put it in anyway. Um, and now this season as well, I think there's a stat that I saw and put up on the page this morning um, in terms of uh, like possession time um, for, for goal scored this season um, and the average passes in a, in a goal scoring possession, Brighton are, are in the top four for both. So it's nice to now see, I suppose, um, and it doesn't have to be a case of like goals affecting your side of play, but I think that must be nice for Graham Potter to see that you know we're now capable of turning these um, these high pass sequences and these these long periods of possession um, into goals, but also it's also been nice to see us um, maintain a good ability to score from set pieces last season, um, as I think people will really value possession football and rightly so because it, it it can be very pretty and can be very good, but you know good, good sides are good because they can hurt you in a, in a variety of ways. I think Liverpool scored the most uh, set piece goals in the Premier League last season, so it just shows you that you know you, you can play nice football but hurt other teams in ways that. Um, can also do damage um, and I, I'm glad to see that we're still being able to do that Well Liam my final question was going to be about Graham Potter and the general style of, of how you feel Brighton play but I think we've, we've pretty much covered that there um, and, and really come full circle um, I think it's been I mean a really really intriguing podcast to record um i've found from a personal level because i think the premier league you know you do get such a blanket view and blanket coverage um on on every premier league club but uh, so uh, comparably you know the under 23 side the recruitment side very very rarely gets sort of the the coverage that um that maybe transfers uh, for the first team or just just results um, managerial changes you know th- that sort of coverage um, gets just so much so much more time uh, on the airwaves and you know in print and everything so I think it's been really really interesting to to, to chat um, and, and all that's left to do really is say thank you because you know although I think people are beginning to cotton on to the good work that's happening at the Amex um, it's still a story that needs some telling um, so thank you very much for that um, just before we go do you have anything that, of yours that you'd like to promote to anybody listening 
Uh, of course, thank you very much for foremost for having me. Um, it's an absolute pleasure to, to be a part of this sort of thing, and it's it's really nice to see pages that are you know um, prepared to and, and, and built around trying to sort of promote this youth talent. So I, I agree with you that it can be one of the most entertaining forms of football to watch. Um, as well, I know obviously that, that football fans and grounds are a complex thing at this point in time. But when it comes back to it, I'd, I'd actually encourage people to go and watch um, the games when they can do in the stadium because you know they're incredibly cheap tickets wise. Um, and for somebody who's got an interesting in coaching and analysis, the thing that I find most fascinating is that you know you can hear the managers because you get so um, so few fans in the, in the grounds and games are often played on a Friday or a Sunday, so they won't normally clash with with Saturday the Saturday fixtures. You can hear players having discussions. You can hear coaches say things which. Um, it's obviously something people have picked up more now um, on like on the behind closed doors games on TV. Uh, but it's you know it's fascinating to hear these sorts of discussions that you just don't normally get. Um, in terms of work and bits and pieces, if people would like to go and, and check out the pod, it, it's linked on the page. They can feel free. Um, it's, it's myself and, and a good mate Charlie who um, we, we take things a bit more relaxed and we sort of have a, a good laugh and a good discussion about sort of all things stats related. Um, but, you know, I'd like to encourage people that if, if they're interested, there's loads of um, sort of reports of, of individual players on the page. There's stuff on um, Alexis McAllister, who's another youth player that's sort of broken through. And um, there's bits on Ben White. There's loads of under 23 stuff as well. Um, we try and do a few articles and stuff on the page as well. So a few more sort of longer bits and pieces. Um, I'm very conscious that Twitter can be sort of a great tool to do things in, in bite-sized chunks. But I think some things deserve and require some longer form analysis. So done pieces there on um, a whole article in fact and this is the, the one thing that I would definitely recommend um, did, did an entire article back in lockdown looking at 23 under 23s at Brighton who um, you, you know are set for really big things and that's that's the pin tweet on the page so um, if anyone's desiring any sort of analysis on um, Taylor Richards, Teddy Jenks, Peter Gorgeous they're all covered in that article and there's 23 of them in total so yeah definitely go and give, give that, a, that a look and, and see what you think. Brilliant. Yeah, I echo that completely. Um, Albion Analytics is a fantastic outlet um, for, for, I mean, for anything Brighton, you know, you know analysis, general opinion, news, um, every, everything in that sense. Um, and it, it probably is the, the, the first page that I'm going to if, you know, if I want to find anything out about Brighton, um, mainly because I'm looking at from an under 23 perspective most of the time. Um, but yeah, if you're even keener to get the best from from Liam and Charlie, uh, definitely consider subscribing to their Patreon account as well. And um, that is also linked on the Albion Analytics page. Um, uh, that'll be definitely be worth your while, uh, especially if you're a Brighton fan. Um, but this has been uh, the Scouted Football podcast with me, Joe Donahue. Um, if you'd like to hear more from us at Scouted Football, um, there is a whole back catalogue of episodes to sink your teeth or ears into. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this. You know, please consider supporting Scouted Football uh, and, and, and our work by subscribing to our Patreon. Um, just three pound a month, you'll get access to exclusive website pieces, uh, interviews, coverage, podcasts. You know, um, each penny of which will will go towards you know, helping us continue to do uh, what we do. Um, but yeah, that's all from us. Um, take care, stay safe, and bye for now. <laughs>